every day of your life, you encounter challenges. Some days are worse than others. Some weeks are more challenging than others. And some events can cripple you. Some things come your way out of left field or right field that you weren't even prepared for. Sometimes they come and you are prepared for them, yet still they're heavy, they're weighty on you. We all have setbacks in our lives. But what we do with those setbacks will determine whether we can overcome with Christ's help and grow from it and learn from it, or will we be defeated and regress and back up? Our setbacks should not set us back. Nothing that you will ever experience or I will ever experience in this lifetime, nothing at all, hasn't went through the hands of our Savior and God, Jesus Christ. It's not as if Jesus wakes up each morning, looks at your agenda, looks at your schedule. By the way, he doesn't wake up because the Bible says that our God neither slumbers nor sleeps. He's always in mission, always on tune, always aware, always holding the world together, Colossians tells us. That, but it's not as if he wakes up one day, looks at your life and says, boy, that's a doozy. I don't know what you're going to do with that one. It's not like he's surprised by what you're going through or what I'm going through. He's not surprised at all. In fact, Scripture says he's well aware. He's already thought it through. He's already has a plan for it. And Scripture even says that he works for good for those that love him. He can actually turn it into something good. So when we face something, it's very difficult for us to be able to fast forward ahead and see what's coming on the horizon. Now, we can, we can hope that something plays out, or we can look at it and say, I, I, I sincerely want this to happen, but God is able, our God, the Holy Spirit, and the three-in-one is able to look at our situation in a present tense and say, I can see the future. This is where this whole mess ends up. Yet for us, it's point of time. It's, it's, it's reference of moments. We don't have the ability because we're not God. We're not infinite. We're not eternal. We're not sovereign. But we have a God that we love and serve that looks at what we are facing and says, this is how it's going to be worked out. So with that in mind, if we trust in the living God that lives in us through the Holy Spirit, then we should be able to look at our setbacks and say, boy, this is over my head. This is more than I hadn't anticipated. But I have a God that lives in me that's already thought it through, that's already ran through his hands, that has worked and promises to work it out for my good. Yet, how do we get to that place? How can we in this Christian walk get to a place where when we face an encounter, we don't let the setback set us back. Our intern that we have this summer is a USC football fan. I'm so for many of you, you really like him now, but he's a USC football fan. And there was a time in USC football history that it seemed like this game that they were in, like they didn't have a fighting chance. They were undefeated in the season and they found themselves playing against Notre Dame, a very good football team. And so they found themselves in the midst of this game in 2005, literally ready almost to the point where it seemed like there was no way they could win this game. Notre Dame had, had run the score up on them, and it looked like early on that they were going to win this game. Yet USC was able to score unanswered points in this game. Yet there's a point of time in this game Notre Dame is up 31 to 28. It seems like at this moment, USC has the ball. They're trying to drive down the field to score, to tie the game up or to win the game. Yet there's this moment in the game, 31 to 28, a minute 40 plus left in the game. USC has the ball. Matt Leinhardt, Leinhardt backs up, ready to throw a pass. And Notre Dame comes in and they sack the quarterback. And what appears like in the moment that USC doesn't have any hope, and in fact, Notre Dame fans are celebrating, and you were probably celebrating if you're a Notre Dame fan, but if you were a USC fan in that moment, you're ready to turn off the TV. You're ready to walk out of the room, and you definitely weren't going to church next morning because you had this hangover from your team losing. Let me show you this moment. Take a look at this.
At this moment, if you're a USC fan, you don't like watching this. You're seeing Notre Dame celebrate. You're watching them, and there's no way. In fact, if you're watching the game, you would never go back and watch this game. If you T-vote it, just like I, I, you left, left the room. You think it's over. It's third and 20, minute 40 left in the game. they got to go almost 80 yards for a touchdown. And you're down by three, and the opposing team sacks your quarterback. Well, if you watch this game, and, and most did, the next play, they, they, they chip away and get about 11 yards. So it's fourth and nine. At this moment, it still feels like it's over. And, 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 and in that moment, as USC fans, you didn't like that the Notre Dame fans were on the side and the coaches were celebrating. Yet on fourth and nine, this is what happens. Watch this. few plays later, USC has the ball. They're ready to punch it in, and we get the bush push. Watch this. Maybe you don't want to. Watch this. Now, if you're a USC fan and you've watched this game, it's second down and long, second down, and your quarterback gets sacked, and you TiVo'd this game. In that moment, when you watched that sack and it made it third and 20, and you walked out of the room, you don't want to go walk back and watch that game because in that moment, it's, it's over. But if you're a USC fan, what you felt in that moment, when, when you were in the present, active, indicative moment of that taking place, you were ticked. You hated the world. You hated USC. You didn't want to talk to anybody. It's definitely not your wife. You didn't want to speak to anybody in that moment. But the end was a lot different than that moment was. And now that you know how the, it ended up, and you recorded that game, you can go back and you can pull out that DVD. You can pull out that TV and you can hit play. And you can even go to that moment where, there's, where the quarterback had sacked and the lineman for Notre Dame was piling up. And on the sidelines, you could even play in slow motion where the Notre Dame players are going, ah! and you might even enjoy that moment. It's like, yeah, because you know what? You know what's coming. You know it's different than it was in that moment. And you know you can go back and replay it. Right now, some of you just hate me right now, but you can go back and replay it and replay it and replay it and replay it because what took place was a lot different than it was in that moment. See, that's how God sees. What we see might overwhelm us. And in that moment, it might be the worst thing that you've ever went through. But God sees the future. 
And he's able to fast forward ahead and say, it might be overwhelming. It might be over top of your head. You might not think you can get to it, but just hit play. Fast forward because the better what's going to come out of this is going to be a lot better than what it is right now. And I promise to work it out for good to those that love Jesus. That's the picture. Yet, you can hear me say that today. You say, well, Jim, that's great. That's awesome. But what will you do when calamity, hardship, setbacks knock on your door? Can you in that moment say, it seems impossible. It's, it's third and 20. We got 80 yards to go. There's no way. Can you as a Christ father in that moment say, you know what? I will not let this setback set me back because I know that my God promises to work all things out for good to those that are called according to his name and to those that love him. Can you possibly do it? Yes, you can. But you have a choice to make. You see, that's how our God sees. So no matter what you go through, it's already went through the hands of a loving, sovereign, infinite God, and he works it out, and he sees us in this moment, and you could actually be walking through this setback and say, you know what, I'm going to enjoy every bit of this because there's going to come a day when I'm going to look back and I'm going to go slow motion. <laughs> That's what it looked like, but look what God turned it into. I'm going to take us on a journey today, and I'm going to show you why that's true. Then I'm going to ask you to consider believing that's true. And then I'm going to encourage you to live as though that's true. Turn to 2 Corinthians chapter 4. 2 Corinthians chapter 4. Grab your Bible. If you need a Bible, hold your hand up. Our ushers will be glad to place one in your hand. 2 Corinthians chapter 4. Let's look at verses 8 through 18. 2 Corinthians chapter 4. Verses 8 through 18. When you find that, stand up. We're going to read it together. 2 Corinthians chapter 4, verses 8 through 18. Let's read this together. 2 Corinthians 4, verses 8 through 18. Ready, read. We are hard-pressed on every side, but not crushed. Perplexed, but not in despair persecuted, but not abandoned, struck down, but not destroyed. We always carry around in our body the death of Jesus, so that the life of Jesus may also be revealed in our body. For we who are alive are always being given over to death for Jesus' sake, so that his life may be revealed in our mortal body. So then, death is at work in us, but life is at work in you. It is written, I believe, therefore I have spoken." With that same spirit of faith, we also believe and therefore speak. Because we know that the one who raised the Lord Jesus from the dead will also raise us with Jesus and present us with you in his presence. All this for your benefit, so that the grace that is reaching more and more people may cause thanksgiving to overflow to the glory of God. Therefore, we do not lose heart. Though outwardly we are wasting away, yet inwardly we are being renewed day by day. For our lights and momentary troubles are achieving for us an eternal glory that far outweighs them all. So we fix our eyes not on what is seen, but what is unseen. For what is seen is temporary, but what is unseen is eternal. You may have a seat. Powerful, 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 powerful encouragement that comes from Scripture here. From a man of God that walked through everything that was thrown, could humanly be possible, thrown at a human being. I'll begin by saying this regarding our setbacks. We can't escape hard times. You will never live in this world as a redeemed follower of Jesus Christ and think, well, now that I follow Jesus, it's going to be a cakewalk. There's just no way. I mean, that's part of the refining process. That's part of God helps us to grow spiritually, the ways he helps us to grow spiritually. We must be careful then as Christ followers to offer a gospel to people that contains no suffering, that somehow Jesus puts us in a bubble and shelters us from trials and troubles and hardship. We must be careful, too, to not paint a gospel and a picture that, that somehow says, pointing that, that somehow God would never allow us to experience hardship. So if you're talking to someone and, you know, you're trying 
to share the good news. And Paul says, trying to win people over in Corinthians, win over for the cause of Christ. If you're trying to, if you go to someone and say, man, come to Jesus, you'll never have another problem in your life. You are lying to the person. It's not that we don't have problems, it's that we have a God that walks us through our problems and turns it into something good and beautiful. And Paul reminds us, even his own personal life, he says, hey, we are hard pressed, but we're not crushed. We're perplexed, but we're not in despair. We're persecuted, but not abandoned. We're struck down, and we're, but we're not destroyed. He says, we're, 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 we, we have the ability to, to, to be hard pressed on every side. I mean, you could put us in a vice, and you could crank the vice, and there will be time. But listen, when you come out of there, you're not crushed. You come back to a form. There might be scars. There might be battle-weary marks on your body, but you're not crushed because God is there. You will go through times when you are pressed, but you won't be crushed. There'll be times when you'll be perplexed, Paul says. Times when you're confused. The word perplexed means puzzled. Have you ever tried to take a puzzle that, that, that maybe is an ocean scene and the majority of it is blue and the rest of it is sand and it's like 50,000 pieces and someone says, here, I bought a gift for you. Put it together. You're puzzled by it. It's like, there's no way. And that would take, in fact, I don't even, I'm just overwhelmed. They're all blue. They're all tan. The word perplexed means to be puzzled. And so there's a puzzle thrown your way. But when you're puzzled or you're perplexed, but you're not in despair, you will never lose hope if you trust in Christ. We will never walk away or can, could we walk away without knowing that Christ has an answer to our dilemma? And then he says, there are times you'll be persecuted, harassed, oppressed, annoyed persistently. But you'll never be abandoned. The word of God says you'll never be deserted. He'll never forsake you or desert you. You will never have God say, you know what? I'm tired of you. I don't love you anymore. Paul says there'll be times when you'll be struck down. You'll literally be knocked down from the weight of this burden, of this calamity, of this hardship, of this relationship, of this financial burden, of this unemployment, of this termination, of this dream gone dry, of this neighbor, of this person, of this husband, of this wife, of this child who's walked off the path. You'll literally be struck down, maybe knocked down, but not destroyed, Paul says. You'll not be ruined. You'll not be demolished. You'll not be rendered ineffective. In other words, Paul says, there will be times when you'll be battered, you'll be pressed, you'll be crushed or feel like you're crushed, but you can walk away knowing that somehow God has taken this. And in the moment, you'll be able to say, it's difficult, but I trust you, God, you promise. And there'll come a day when you can look back on those times and you might even go back, let's replay that moment. Because when I was in the midst of it, I didn't do such a good job responding to it, but I can respond better. Let's go slow motion and we tell the story. You remember the time when it seemed like that? And you might go back and you replay Notre Dame on the side because you know what's coming. You know what God turned it in to. Here's the reality. We catch it on every side, Paul is saying, in every direction. But we do not let it squeeze the life out of us. See, as Christ followers, we should never let it squeeze the life out of us. And here's why that's possible. Because Jesus, the living God, the three in one, the Holy Spirit lives in us. You can't squish the living God that's inside of you. Troubles are part of God's plan. And they renew us spiritually, physically. It's kind of like this. I kind of look at life like you're a pinball. Now imagine you're the ball and you're in this machine. And it's like it's your turn to be the ball. And so this expert comes up, pulls back the plunger and lets you go. And it's like you find yourself in this machine. Banging all over the place. And you got this guy who's really good at it. And he takes a flipper. He says, no, one more time. And you're back. And you're just screaming, exit, 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 exit. The word of God says we will be battered, but we won't be broken. We won't be crushed. We might be screaming for exit. And sooner or later, you will exit. But guess what? Your ball will come back up and someone else will send you running again. So be prepared. It's part of the Christian walk. But how you respond to that is critical because that determines, that shapes your future. 
That determines whether or not you'll grow through this experience. You see, here's the reality. We can enjoy the setbacks because we know how the game ends. USC fans can look back on that now and they can play, they can go slow motion because they know how the game ended. They don't feel like they did in the moment because they know that it turned out for their benefit. And we can do the same. We know how the game ends. Now, this is where I want to steer the direction of this message. No matter what hardship comes your way this week, this month, or this year, you can smile at the days ahead because the word of God says we win as Christ followers. The word of God says he promises to turn it into something good. The word of God says there will come a day when you'll look back and say, that is why, thank you, God. You see, no matter how dire the situation looks and might even feel in that moment, God promises to turn it into something good. That's what Romans 8, 28 says. And why is that? It's because we're not walking in this life alone. It's like we're not taking these battles all by ourselves. We would be hopeless. The reason we're able to experience and respond the way I'm talking about, because there's this man by the name of Jesus. There's this God who overcame death on the cross and was resurrected by the name of Jesus. There's this savior that we know by the name of Jesus. So when we face our encounters, there's this God that's real, that's living, and he wants to help you, and his name is what? Jesus. We can move on because everything that he has ever, we have ever done has passed through the hands of the living God, and he promises to turn it into something good. So when we face that setback, we can look at it and say, I will not let this set me back because my God promises that. That's the picture we see here today. Yet, is that the picture we see in the church of Jesus Christ today? Is that the picture that you give out when hardship comes your way? When everything that you wanted goes south? Is that the picture that people see of Christ's followers today? Well, doesn't, in Matthew 16, 18, Jesus said this. On this rock, I will build my church and the gates of hell will not prevail against it. In other words, will not overcome. Is that the picture that we're given the world that's lost that, hey, listen, this is what I'm facing. But, but because of the power of Jesus Christ and the authority of his scripture and because he overcame death, the gates of hell will not prevail against us. That's the picture, but how often we see the church, it's barely hanging on. The people, oh, I don't know how I can make it another day. It's this picture of hopelessness. That's not what Matthew 16, 18 says. That the, it says the gates of hell will not prevail against us. We need to rewind the tape, no matter what we're facing and saying, I don't see how this is all going to work out. And it's overwhelming me right now. But I, I know who God is, and I know the God that lives in me. And through the tears that I'm feeling right now, I'm going to walk through this because there's going to come a day when I'm going to look back and say, look what God did. That's what Christ followers can do. I don't see the church barely surviving in Matthew 16, 18. The gates of hell, by the way, are a defensive mechanism, not an offensive mechanism. Gates don't fight back. Have you ever got attacked by a gate? Gates protect. And somehow we look at Satan, you know, he, he's going to fight back and he's going to, no, gates hold ground. The passage says, we're on the offensive. We're attacking the gates. We're taking back ground. We're rushing and storming the troop, taking the troops forward. We're victorious because of Jesus Christ. And we thump the gates. That's the picture of Matthew 16, 18. You know, as kids, we used to play the game Red Rover, Red Rover, I dare someone over. And you'd line up, and it's like, that was like the game you played. I mean, we didn't have video games, so you played Red Rover, and Simon Says, and you made up games, and you made guns and sticks out of sticks, and you shot people, and, and so it was the good old days. But by the way, sometimes the good old days weren't the good old days. But anyhow, you played Red Rover, and so you look across, and the object of this game was to stop them from busting your arms, from storming the gates. And the object of the game is to get everybody on your side, and you win. 
So if you were trying to, to get and win, you would give everything you had and you would try to find a weak link and bust through that gate. You would try to find the weak link in the chain, just like Satan tries to. But it's a picture of storming gates. Hell's gates could never stop a supercharged follower of Jesus Christ because Satan has already been defeated and been disarmed. We should be able to storm the gates. Yet, is that how we respond when troubles come? I often wonder this, and I really do. I've often wondered this in my Christian journey. What other people think about us who don't know Christ when they see us experience trials and tribulations and hardships and they watch us respond to them? I often wonder what they think. Do they think, wow, that's what you think and that's how you handle that and you're a Christian who has the living God on your side? When I face encounters, I'm not any different than you are. You see, we carry the look of defeat way too often, yet the gospel is supposed to be good news. And yet somehow it's like, yeah, praise God, hallelujah. He'll help you out once in a while. Let me tell you the good news of Jesus Christ. Here it is. He was died, and he went to the cross, and carried all your sins, and then he went to the grave, and he was resurrected the third day. Hallelujah, praise God. You want that? That's like... No, I don't want any of that. I don't want that God. I want a God that can get me through, that, that somehow I can lean on it, that won't forsake me or leave me. I want a God that's living in you. I want to see you believing that you believed in God. Good news should be good news, not praise God, hallelujah, why don't you come to Jesus? That's not the picture. Where's the good news? The gospel is great news. So Paul reminds us when you go through those hard times, don't waver. Depend on him. Sure, there'll be tears. And sure, there'll be times when you think you can't go through. But listen, press fast forward. Because what you experience today will look much different in the future. Look at 2 Corinthians chapter 4. Take a look at this. 2 Corinthians chapter 4. Look at verse 14. Paul says this here. Because we know that the one who raised the Lord Jesus from the dead will also what? Raise us up with Jesus and present us with you in his presence. You know, turn back to Romans 8.31. Sometimes I look at this passage and, and I say, where is this? Where are Christ's followers that believe Romans 8.31? Look at it, Romans 8.31. Look what it says. Paul goes through in, in 28 and then he, in, in, in 29 and 30, and tells us who we are in Christ and how he turns things into good. And then he says this in Romans 8, verse 31. He says, what then shall we say in response to this? If God is for what? Us. Who can be what? Against us. You know who's against us? Sure, we got the enemy. And we have his demon angels that that are his warriors and, and they, they, they harass us. But you know who stands against most Christians? We stand against ourselves. It's like, who can stand against us? I do. Because you look at this situation and think, oh, dear God, this is too difficult. This is too hard. You've never been through this before. And you just woke up and you think, boy, that's a doozy. We stand against us. Sometimes the greatest enemy to our forward motion is us. It begins here. It begins by taking the truths of God's word and letting it prop us up. And then it begins by living those out, those truths out. And then it begins by believing it and telling others and speaking that truth instead of saying, boy, this is just too much. We are often our greatest enemy and we're the ones that stand against us. Paul says in verse 14 though, there's a flame of the resurrection burning inside of Christ's followers or at least there should be. You and I have the living God in us. And by the way, that should change things. <laughs> yeah, we might be getting battered, like Paul said. We might be getting pressed. We might be getting bruised. We might be getting perplexed and be thrown puzzles at us. We might be getting persecuted. 
Yet we can stand up because the living God is standing inside of us and say, with God and in the power of his name, I will stand strong in the Lord, Ephesians 6.10. You see, we can take our scar-battered bodies victoriously to the other side of eternity. It's never over for Christ followers. I don't know, but the last time I checked, we win. We won. Let's live and believe that we won. Some Christ fathers live as though they haven't won. The last time I checked, we win. Anybody glad? We win. That's what the word of God says. You see, when you realize that, then your response to hardships, to trials, to persecution will be very different than most people. Remind yourselves of some of these truths. Anytime I walk through a a difficult time, you know what I do? I just take the word of God and I start speaking it. I start reading it. It's the weapon. I start standing upon the promises of God. I listen to it. Even this past, last week, I listened to the whole book of John. It's a two and a half hours on, on you version. And I just let it just infiltrate me. It was like I was getting baptized by God's word. And by the time I got out of the car, I could have taken on the world. It's power in his truth. We need to go back and be strengthened and propped up by his word. Listen to some of these truths. Just listen to them. Psalm 34, 18 says this. If your heart is broken, you'll find God right there. If you're kicked in the gut, he'll help you catch your breath. That's awesome news. Listen to this from Psalm 55, verse 22. Pile your troubles on God's shoulders. He'll carry your load. He'll help you out. He'll never let good people topple into ruin. Listen to Isaiah 26 and verse 3. You will keep in perfect peace him whose mind is steadfast because he trusts in you. Listen to John 16 verse 33. I have told you these things, John said, so that in me you may have peace. In this world you will have trouble. But take heart, I have overcome the world, Jesus said. Listen to this truth from God's word, Proverbs 3, 5, and 6. Trust God from the bottom of your heart. Don't try to figure out everything on your own. Listen for God's voice in everything you do, everywhere you go. He's the one who will keep you on track. You see, that's a champion's mindset. That's someone who believes in the good news. That's someone who can look at the situation and say, I will not let this setback set me back because God has already seen it and he's got a plan out here and there will come a day when I'm going to go back in the front room and I'm going to replay and I'm going to celebrate because God promises to do all this for us. Many of us as Christ followers need to take our training wheels off of our lives. Seriously, some of us have been born again and have been Christ followers for many, 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 many years. Yet when we come to these encounters, it's like we need to put the training wheels back on because somehow I can't do it, God, and so we got to have these training wheels on. I mean, it's ludicrous to think that someone who has been a long-term follower of Christ still walks through life, doesn't take risk, doesn't step out in faith, is afraid that they'll fall off their bike, that somehow they'll get hurt. Listen, wouldn't it be ridiculous in the Olympics They had the biking, the Olympics this past week. By the way, Olympics is driving me nuts. It's on 11.30 at night and I can't turn it off. So I gotta watch it. USA, USA, USA. It just just comes out of me. But can you imagine, can you imagine the USA bicycle champions coming up there in those bike races on that indoor track where they kind of just have strategy and all of a sudden they go three laps. Imagine Olympic champion lining up and he's got training wheels on. Picture that in your mind. And this other guy looks at her and says, what? You've been doing this for 20 years. You still got training wheels? Yeah, I got training wheels. That's what people do and think when they look at us. And how long has the living God been living in you? Well, I know Jesus Christ, 44 years. Well, take the stinking training wheels off. Walk in faith. Step out. The way we do it is by believing who Jesus is. That's a champion's mindset. It's looking at an encounter and saying, hey, this is difficult. This is hard. But somehow, God is going to get me through it. In fact, look at 2 Corinthians for a second for me. And look at verse 1, chapter 1. 2 Corinthians chapter 1. Yes, there will be times when you're overwhelmed. Yes, there will be times you think you can't go on. Look at 2 Corinthians chapter 1. Look at verse 8. 
Paul reminded the same church here of this. He says, we do not want you to be uninformed, brothers, about hardships, Grace Community Church, that we suffered in the province of Asia or Topeka or New Parasites or wherever. We were under great pressure, he said, far beyond our ability to what? Endure. 2 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 8. So that we despaired even of what? Then he said this, indeed in our hearts we felt the sentence of what? Death. But this happened that we might rely on our, not on ourselves, but God. There will come times when you feel like you can't go on, when it seems like you got the sentence of death on your back, when it seems like this situation is unbearable. But there will be times like that through tears and through, through groaning and moaning to God and crying out. You can still be in that moment and say, God promises to turn it into something good. That's the picture. You know, there, there's this misnomer in Christianity that goes something like, you know, come to Jesus. When you come to Jesus, you'll never have another problem in your life. In fact, God never allows bad things to happen to good people. In fact, God would never give you more than you could what? That is a lie from the pit of hell. Yes, he does give you more than you can handle. And you know why? So that you run to him. Why would we need God if we didn't have more than we could handle? He promises in 1 Corinthians chapter 10, 13, not to give us more temptation than we can handle. He said he'll always provide a way out, but he'll give you a lot more than you can handle. That's a lie. Don't say that to people. That somehow, and it's, it comes out so easily. It's like you see someone going through something. Hey, remember, God would never give you more than you can handle. Just go ahead and hit him. Well, I'll show you. Here, here's a little more you can handle. <laughs> in Jesus' name, by the way. Hardships come, and they come out of nowhere. And the way you respond to them will determine what kind of trust you have in your God. About two weeks ago, I was going to California to speak at a leaders' conference, and we're releasing the Fight Club resource. I was just so stinking stoked about that. I was like a fire hose. You got within 50 feet of me, you heard it. Right before we were ready to leave to go to California, we got word that my stepfather had fallen on the front porch. He's 81 years old, incredible man of God, love him dearly, poured into my life. He's my, my dad and I have another dad. Just horrific news, broke his hip and we're ready to leave for California. And so they took him in and realized he needed surgery. So he went and had some surgery done to repair the hip with hopes that 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 the surgery takes hold and he doesn't have to have a hip replacement. In the meantime, this sent my mom into a tailspin, just horrific tailspin. And so little by little, I was getting pieces from my siblings while I was in California that mom's not doing good. In fact, she's not doing very good at all. And we had noticed over the last couple of years that mom would have memory lapses and didn't think much of it. But with my stepfather in the hospital, my mom's Alzheimer's just triggered. Just, she went off the deep end. And even to the point where it was, it was just horrible. It was, it was getting reports that my mom was irrational behavior, angry, and my sister had to physically wrestle her to the ground. It's just horrible. And I'm in California. You know how much I love my mom. It was difficult. I just wanted to fly there and be there. And, and so my sister was there and my brother was there. And so we tried to work out something where we could all cover. And, and so got near the week ago, got near the Wednesday and Thursday. And I drove to Phoenix from California and, and my family and I flew back to Indiana. I got back Thursday night late. I got up early Friday morning and I drove to the East Coast to see my, my mom, to be with her, so my brother could leave. And so the whole way there, I'm just listening to scripture. I'm just getting armed by God's promises and his truth. And I finally get to the house and knock on the door and no answer. And my brother was out. I didn't realize it and ring the doorbell. And this lady comes to the door. She looks at me. I said, hey, mom. And my own mom didn't recognize me. Devastating. Just, just talked to her. I just saw her. Two months, six months ago, and I talked to her on the phone. 
She looked at me and she was all in total disarray and she was anxious and she was kind of pacing back and forth. And I said, hey, mom, it's Jimmy. She looked at me and she said, Jimmy. Went in and sat on the couch with her. And she said, my legs are all cramped up because she hadn't been eating for three days and she wasn't taking her meds. And my brother had called 911 and tried to get her taken to the hospital, but she didn't have anything to do with that. If you know my mom, she didn't have anything to do with that. And uh, so I held her and rubbed her legs and took her back to her bedroom and I just ran my fingers through her hair. Beautiful woman, just incredible, incredible, incredible lady caressed her back and I held her in her arms and I prayed over my mom. I said, mom, it's going to be okay. She fell asleep in my arms and I just laid there in the bed with her. I look at this, this beautiful woman who's given her life to me and my siblings and just sacrificed over and over. She's like a child just laying there. And so over the next four to five days, I cared for my mom. And there was a lot of you that were praying. The elders were praying and my staff was praying. And so she wouldn't take her medicine. And so I asked staff to pray and just pray that when I come on the scene, somehow God brings peace. And what happens is you revert back. Alzheimer's, you often revert back to what you know. And for some reason, my mom trusts me. I'm grateful for that in times like these. So we got up in the morning and she hadn't eaten. I said, mom, you got to eat. I said, you know, I, I, I tried to encourage her. She, she has to take a high cholesterol pills and she had five pills she needed to take. And she wouldn't take them. My brother couldn't get him taken. She was in an irrational behavior. And so I cooked her some eggs. I know she likes some eggs and made some oatmeal. I said, Mom, you need to take these pills because I told her that I'm hypoglycemic and I need to eat proteins. And, and so she took them. She trusted me. So this journey continued. She had these moments. I'm sitting out there and she just come walking out and, and she wouldn't remember me. And then we have these coherent moments. And you know the story with Alzheimer's. It's, it's horrible. It's just it's just. It's just flat out horrible. The last morning I was there, my sister had come in and she's there now, one of my siblings, other siblings. And it was the last morning, I knew it was the last morning I would see her and I was heading back to Indiana. And so I fixed her some breakfast and I washed dishes every day. My father always, stepdad always washed dishes. He never had a dirty dish. He was excessive, compulsive. And so I just wanted to fit in and do what he did, make her feel safe. She was putting pots and stuff in the wrong places. She was putting cereal in the freezer and she couldn't remember where she was at. And, but then she had these moments. But that morning I was cooking and she said, you know what, Jimmy? She said, I'm going to tell Ann, you're a pretty good cook. She said, and you're washing all the dishes. And she said, I need to tell her that. And then she said these words I'll never forget. Never, never, never. Because my mom will never be the same again. It's okay. I, we realize she's in God's hands. She says, Jimmy, I'm never going to forget what you've done for me. I turned around. Her sister was in the room. And I said, Mom, I'll never forget this either. And the reality is this. She will forget, but I'll never forget. So in those kind of moments, what do you do in those kind of moments? Do you just punt and say, God, why this? No, you look at this moment and say, my God promises to turn this into something good. And there will be a day when I look back and I'll come back to this moment and I'm going to do one of these because I know that God turned it into something good and he can turn your thing into something good too. We must press the fast forward button in the midst of, of hard, difficult times. We can press on victoriously. Look at 2 Corinthians 4. Look what Paul says. He doesn't leave us here battered and bruised. He says this in chapter 4 and verse 16. Look what he says. Therefore, because of all these things, because of the resurrection power in us, therefore, we do not lose what? Heart. Though outwardly we are wasting away, yet inwardly are being renewed. For our light and momentary troubles are achieving for us eternal glory that far outweighs them all. So we fix our eyes not on what is seen, the issue, but what is unseen, Jesus Christ. For what is seen is temporary, but what is unseen is eternal. He says, don't give up. Don't lose heart. And then he says this, all these things that you have far outweigh... All these eternal glory that's coming will far outweigh what you're facing. So all the heartache, all the rejection, all the misunderstanding, 
all the evil we encounter, all the hatred directed at us, all the malice we endure, every death that comes to our doorstep, all the sadness, all the tears, all the sleepless nights, all the doubt and all the worry, all the confusion, all the perplexity, all the sickness and all the broken dreams. That's one way to, that's on this balanced scale. But on the other side, this far outweighs it, the word of God, the promises of God the love of God, the power of God, the wisdom of God, the plan of God, the kindness of God, the sovereignty of God, the grace of God, and our future state in heaven and the eternal glory far outweighs it. That's the picture that we're supposed to go to in the midst of this trial and trouble. Quit living and thinking like that isn't the case. And then Paul says this, we need to change our lenses. We need to look at what is not seen, but what is unseen. Let me help us out here. As a kid, I attended a lot of vacation Bible schools. And so often back in the day, they would put girls on one side and boys on the other. And at some point, they would gather us all together for a large gathering. And during my time, they would always have these scales at the front. On one side was this long rod that had a bucket, a pail with a chain holding it. On the other side was a bucket with a chain holding it. One side was girls, one side was boys. And so they always have a project that you would give to. So each night you would bring your money. And whoever had the, the heaviest money would win. They would win like a Tootsie Roll or a lollipop. And so, hey, that's why I went. Free Tootsie Roll, free lollipop. And so every night they would weigh these things. And so... The, the, the leader of VBS would stand there and often he would hold it straight and the girls would bring up their side. The boys would unload. I would go get my nickels and turn them into pennies. I would go look for return bottles when you get five cents for them. Remember those days? I'd go look for them and I'd bring my money because, man, I wanted the boys to win. And so every night it was, you know, kind of like back and forth. And I distinctly remember this one VBS trying to determine who outweighs who. It was 3-3. Three, three. And so the last night that we were there, word got out that said this, whoever, whosever side outweighs the other, they get an ice cream bar. Now listen, an ice cream bar, when you're a little, lower middle class family eating gravy bread for meal, ice cream was like, we're going to win. And I remember I went out all day looking for pop bottles. I went everywhere I could find. And I tried to set a yard sale up and sell some vegetables out front. And I, I gathered my pennies and I put them in a plastic bag back in the day when you had to put a tie on them. We didn't have Ziploc. And you put it in your pocket. And I was coming to VBS. And so I, I'll never forget this. All the girls came up. And the coins were in and all the boys came up. And the girls were leaning this way. It's like, stink. I don't get an ice cream bar. I don't care about John 3.16 right now. I didn't get ice cream. <laughs> but I'll never forget what happened. Never forget. I'll never forget his name. A guy by the name of Jimmy Socks. He was waiting for this moment. All I remember is this big guy from the back steps out of the pew. Boom, boom, boom. Every guy on this side is like... He comes up, he's got this burlap bag. I mean, just load it. And you could feel it was like it was slow motion. Girls were winning. They were outweighing. He came up and he put this bag of pennies on the boy's side. And that scale went this way. And every boy just erupted in that place because our side outweighed that side. And we won. <laughs> and that meant ice cream, baby, ice cream. Paul says this, these light and momentary troubles are achieving for us eternal glory that far outweighs anything, everything. And the eternal glory that comes from that is worth walking through it. That's what Paul said. Let me wrap it up by saying this. People will think you're absolutely crazy when you respond that way. But here's why. Because they can't see like you see. You're not looking at the temporary. You're focused and fixed on the eternal author, creator, alpha, and omega. And when he promises something, he means it. 
That's what I focus on. When everything was hopeless, Abraham believed anyway, Scripture says, deciding to live not on the basis of what he saw he couldn't do, but on what God said he would do. Never once in this lifetime as Christ followers have you ever walked alone. Never once did he ever leave us on our own. God, he's faithful. He's faithful. He's faithful. He's faithful. Help us today, God, to believe that. And when trials and troubles and deaths and hardships and struggles and overwhelm us, even with the, feels like the sentence of death is on us. Oh God, help us to press fast forward and rely on your strength and walk in your power that's in us. I know in a room of this size that there's many that are carrying burdens that just feel like the death sentence is on you. You're overwhelmed. God says, give it to me. Hand it over. And I promise to turn it into something good. I'm going to ask you to do something in the main and the link as we sing this last song, never once, to do just that. I don't know what you're walking through, but God does. I'm going to ask you just to come as we sing and, and let this song just 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 shower over you the truths of this song and release those things, that issue, that person, that relationship, that financial concern, that, 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 that child, that, that business, whatever it is, just that physical ailment, just that, that, that pain, that hurt, that uncertainty, just give it over and just say, God, it's yours. It's yours because you're faithful. So I'm going to ask you to come and kneel across the front and do just that as we sing this last song. Move in this moment, God, in the link in the main. And may we walk out of here lighter than we were when we came in. In Jesus' strong name and all God's people said, amen.